investigations that you want to do to assess the patient. And the examiner may have, or the interviewer may, may stop you at this point, and they may tell you, yeah, but from your history and examination, we found out X, Y, and Z. And that will give you an idea for what you're saying. But if not, you at this point, you want to say, I'd probably say some a line such as I'd use the history and examination to start thinking uh, about my differentials. Um, and now I'd do um, some bedside investigations to help understand, uh, yeah, help, help, help confirm or rule out some of these differentials. They may ask what the differences are. You can always, I, I think without having any information, it's probably not worthwhile to say what differentials are because it could just be anything. <laughs> if the examiner hasn't given you anything. Um, so yeah, then I'd move on to your investigations. And I think it's really important, like we've done with the history and like we've done with the examination, to have a structure. So with the examination, you said, you know, a, a focused examination using uh, the OBSEN A to E approach cardiac, respiratory, and gastroenterology examination, or an abdominal, abdominal examination here, the same has to be true. You should split your investigations in a way that seems sensible to you. To me, uh, and I did to a discussion beforehand, I, normally we would approach it in a bedside investigations and other investigations. Uh, is I think a very fair break, way to split your investigations. It works for most uh, presentations. So, And then if you if you're using the same kind of approach for all of your stations, then it's easier and familiar. Uh, yeah. So yeah. And then do you want to talk about the investigation you want to yeah. do? Yes. So again, just quite brief, I think, I mean, there's you know, only so much you can do at the bedside, uh, which is within your remit. But I mean, if you haven't already said OBS, then I would say use this. It's another chance to be able to oh, like to take a set of OBS, which is quite nice because you can work in things that you've forgotten before. Um, and then, so yeah, specifically the blood pressure and the heart rate. Uh, and then an ECG obviously would be your go-to investigation here. So, um, and then you can say, I think it's quite nice to offer what you'd be looking for in the ECG. You know, everybody will say, all candidates will probably say I'd do an ECG. But I think if you can say specifically, I would like to do an ECG, looking spe specifically for, you know, ischemic changes or ST changes suggestive of ischemia um, or changes suggestive of pericarditis, for example, and you can go on to list those as well. Um, or possibly looking for, uh, you know, signs of a non-cardiac cause, such as a P, um, you know, which is obviously rare and elusive, but they do happen in their so-called textbooks. So well, it's always good to include them. <laughs> I would just have your, 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 everyone should have a particular spiel for how they look, what they might be looking for in an ECG. Yeah. And I think those three are perfect. I actually wouldn't get much more than that. So you could say, I'm doing ECG looking for uh, ST changes suggestive of ischemia or any particular ST changes that might suggest uh, pericarditis uh, or any changes might suggest pericarditis such as and actually list them saddle yeah. shape uh, st elevation and pr depression pr depression which is what everyone forgets um and then and then uh find out what's the last one you said again Nandita. oh yeah oh, uh, just non-cardiac thing so yeah s1 and to say s1 q3 t3 which could be stressful p yeah or um, a sinus tachycardia even which can also point point to it yeah, yeah. so i think um, yeah but, I mean, but in terms of specific things you want, you might be looking for, you, you want to say just a few things that shows the examiner that you know the kind of things you might be looking for in ECG, but obviously they won't have expected you to list inexhaustive details, every, single, every single sign that could turn out on ECG. But if you've named a few big ones, ischemia, pericarditis and PE, hey, you've covered most of, you've covered most of a, a big, big parts of chest pain uh, yeah. there with that ECG. Um, I think the, other thing um, for a bedside investigation that you can never, ever forget, and this is not just for chest pain, but for pretty much most presentations, especially for the IMT interview, is that 
you need to have a really good reason to not do a gas. Mm. It's a very simple bedside investigation. If you can think of a very good reason why you shouldn't, that's absolutely fine. But if you can't, then every patient should have a uh, a VBG. And that gives you a fairly good, quick marker of how unwell the patient is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I think the only other, I mean, main investigation at this point, I guess, would be to, after you've done the ECGs to say you get a chest X-ray um, to make sure the lung fields are clear, like, you know, you, you can rule out any um, immediately rule out any sort of significant pulmonary pathology based on that, or at least any life threatening causes. I mean, you know, pneumothorax you could usually see on a chest X ray. I mean, any florid pulmonary edema you could see on a chest X ray. So I think either a bedside chest X ray or a departmental chest X ray based on how unwell the patient is in the scenario. Um, and then going from there, I mean, the investigation based on what you do next, could, you could say that, you know, based on this information that I have, I'd want to then suggest um, or speak to a cardiologist to maybe get a bedside echo as my next investigation, and then possibly suggest why you'd want that. And I don't know if that kind of level of details to part, but can be helpful. Well, and, and that's, and that's, that's a, that I think, Dominic, that's this. You've gone through your kind of bedside, so your OBS, OBS, blood pressure, ECG, gas, BM, if you haven't mentioned it already. They're your bedside investigations that you've talked about there. Um, and then you talk about your non-bedside, so your chest X-ray, echo, echo slash V-scan, and bloods. Uh, and the bloods are obviously incredibly important. And you say, I'd have, and it, what you shouldn't have for a chest pain history is just a blind, I'm going to send up a troponin. So you need to uh, suggest that you know that it's not every patient should have a troponin sent. So you should say something along the lines of, I do simple bloods, um, including just a full blood count using these LFTs um, and clotting, because um, that's important for uh, any invasive management this patient might need. Uh, and I'd consider uh, other blood blood tests, blood tests which are important in chest pain history, and let's be guided by my history of examination, uh, such as a troponin uh, and a BNP, um, which can be used to prognosticate heart failure. Uh, and if you can say things like prognosticate heart failure, you're clearly already working at a far higher level than a, uh, an IMT. Um, and I think those those are the most important yeah. things. You can say some other things, such as like, if the history was suggestive of pericarditis or myocarditis, I could think about a, a myocarditis screen. Um, and you don't need to go any further detail than that, but just say the myocarditis screen. Um, but yeah, I think those are probably the most important Important. Yeah, I think so as well. Then with the troponin as well, I mean, if you can say something like you want to send off a troponin and then possibly eventually another one to look for a trend, I think that also kind of shows you have a nuanced understanding of the way troponin works in clinical practice and how we evaluate it. So, yeah. Um, that's probably it, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it's really important when you talk about your investigations, um, yeah, to, at some point you might want to say, as Nelly said, like, call a cardiologist about considering um a bedside echo and then when we go on to manage it next one important thing is understanding when it's appropriate to call your call your registrar because you're you are an imt1 here uh sienna anita do you want to talk about uh management yeah so management i guess uh can cover I mean, obviously guided by what you think the patient has um before you know what the patient has i guess immediate management is always you know obviously stabilizing at the opposite necessary but treat the pain I mean you know the pain is usually managed the same way regardless um in the first instance anyway and if they've got severe pain then you want to you know obviously work up the 
pain ladder and often paracetamol first and then work up from there based on whatever obviously allergies and things they might have and um, other drugs that they may be taking. So we manage the pain first in the first instance. And then we can talk about possibly specific management. So if you think they're having a, um, so I guess you could say to the exam, because you won't have all the results and then the examiner may interrupt you and say, oh, the troponin is 2000 or, you know, the ECG shows a STEMI, for example, and I'm not quite sure how they would sort of, which route they'll go down. Obviously, it's, it, you won't be able to predict that. But if you just have some, I guess, like a one liner for each um, for each cardiac condition or non-cardiac condition, yeah. which shows that you can explain to them confidently what the management would entail. I think that's probably enough at that stage. Um, so if they say, obviously, if they say it's a STEMI, then you say that you'd you know want to uh, alert. If they show you an ECG that's a STEMI, if they say it's a ST elevation MI, then that's a medical emergency and you want to alert the cardiology team immediately so they can have primary angioplasty. Um, and then once you've arranged that also to, uh, I guess, in discussion with the cardiologist, obviously, that it won't just be you running around doing this on your own. So that'd be a lot to ask of anyone. Um, but you'd also want to think about antiplatelet loading. So give them aspirin, 300 of aspirin and uh, 300 of clopidogrel. Um, and then take it from there, essentially. Um, if the heart rate is going a little bit high, sometimes we often we can give beta blockers, sometimes to slow it down slightly, uh, small doses of bisoprolol. Um, or in some occasions, metoprolol, but I think I would just say you'd give a beta blocker unless it was contraindicated. Um, and then often if the and say that if the pain is really severe and the patient's very uncomfortable, we'd give morphine uh, and metoclopramide as well, which is what we use as standard for nausea and pain uh, in the acute STEMI scenario. Does that sound about right, Barak? Yeah, so I think, I think you're exactly right. Just have an idea of what you're going to say for different things. So I think the things you can get presented with from an ischemia um setting which is the main thing we're covering in this in this video is an unstable angina um an end stemi or a stemi unstable angina the most important thing is symptom relief uh so giving them both more you can more is probably overkill so you could say uh, give anti-anginals for unstable angina and if needed we can consider setting up a gtn infusion um and and then you should know that unstable angina, which is cardiac chest pain, so ischemic chest pain that's ongoing at rest, that's unstable angina. Those patients, those patients by definition have a negative troponin, um, and that's what's different. That's is what differentiates unstable angina and an end STEMI. An end STEMI has a positive troponin re result, which indicates myocardial infarction, whereas unstable angina is is an acute coronary syndrome that doesn't have any cardiac damage so it's yeah by, def by definition not myocardial infarction but it's unstable angina but under under acute coronary syndrome there are th there are the three things are unstable angina and stemi and stemi um and all of them need or should have an inpatient assessment of their coronary arteries which is normally with an angiogram so Unstable angina, you'd say symptom relief with anti-anginals plus minus GTN infusion as necessary, load with dual antiplatelets and uh, a current, uh, either an invasive talking to the cardiology team about a coronary angiogram or a CT scan of the coronary arteries within the next 72 hours as an inpatient. The patient cannot go home. And that's the that's the area people get uh, mm. most confused and make the biggest problem, make the biggest mistakes because once they see a negative troponin, they try and send a patient home and manage as an outpatient. But if the patient has cardiac chest pain at rest, they need to stay in as an inpatient because that is acute, an acute coronary syndrome. Then for NSTEMI, the same. It's manage their symptoms, 
then, then because they might have symptoms of uh, signs of heart failure, if they've got enough cardiac damage, they manage their symptoms, treat any underlying heart failure as necessary um, to enable them to be able to lie flat, load them with Dulantic platelets, uh, and, and ensure that they're in a safe place. Um, so they need to be on a cardiac monitor and on a cardiac ward um, with a plan for a coronary angiogram or an assessment of the coronary arteries within the next 72 hours. And then ST elevation MI or a STEMI, again, the same. Treat the symptoms, treat any underlying heart failure, load them with dual antiplatelets, said aspirin and clitoral or ticagrelor, but as long as they're dual antiplatelets, you've done more than enough. Um, and then that STEMI is a medical emergency, regardless of what time it is, those patients need to be, uh, you need to contact the cardiology team um, as soon as possible and arrange for transfer to their nearest PCI center. Um, PCI means percutaneous coronary intervention. What essentially means is a cath lab that can do stenting overnight. Um, and that's that's the real mainstay of uh, management of three different types of ACS. And I think it's really, really important that you have that clear in your head, the three different types of ACS and what differentiates them from each other. So just to remind you, unstable angina, negative drop, but cardiac chest, cardiac chest pain at rest. N-STEMI, cardiac chest pain, and a positive troponin, positive troponin um, and, uh, and, and ECG changes. And the STEMI is uh, cardiac chest pain and ST elevation uh, on their ECG. Uh, yeah, that was really helpful. And then I suppose the other things that they you might want to talk about with management just while we're here is I suppose, pericarditis and myocarditis and difference uh, between the two. Um, yeah. So I think with, with pericarditis and myocarditis, again, um, in terms of, you know, if you, if they give you some results, which it's clear that it's or from the history, if it's clear that it's not a true sort of, it doesn't really sound like ischemic chest pain and it sounds very obviously pericarditic. And if they tell you that the ECG has got PR depression and, you know, global saddle shaped ST elevation, um, and you're thinking more of a pericarditic picture, um, you can also just have and a one line. worth lying flat. Yes, exactly. Yeah, worst line flat. And then so if you're kind of if they're giving you all those clues and you're like, okay, this is probably pericarditis, um, you just I think just offer something to the examiners that say, you know, want to be thinking about pericarditis in this case, uh, given this, this, and this. And I think that's quite good to say why you think that, because obviously it's slightly off-piece diagnosis in the sense that it's not the classic chest pain one. Um, so it's nice to just kind of back yourself up until they can see what your thinking is like and why you've come to that conclusion. Um, and then, you know, you manage, usually the pain is managed with uh, NSAIDs, we are inflammation as well, so we give ibuprofen usually, uh, unless it's contraindicated for whatever reason, and then colchicine, um, I don't think you need to know doses for the, for the interview, but I think just colchicine for a period of time. Um, and then important to say at this point, I guess, in terms of investigations as well, you want to make sure there's no pericardial effusion. Yeah. Um, so, you know, speak to your local cardiology team to just ensure there's a, to do a quick echo to make sure there's no fluid around the heart, which would obviously then change the management a little bit. And, and, and that's it. I think if you can get across the fact that if you're talking about pericarditis, um, you should always then, if you're talking about pericarditis, you should also, also mention myocarditis, um, yeah. with two are part of the same spectrum of disease. And you can say pericarditis um, traditionally has a negative, negative training, but these the classical ECG changes, as I said, management of NSAIDs, echo to make sure no pericardial diffusion, and conservative management, uh, conservative man management, if needed, we can. Uh, you can discuss with the cardiologist about culture scene and what their preference is, but they don't necessarily need to be on a cardiac monitor and can often go home uh, that day or the next day. Um, myocarditis is different because there's 
um, myocarditis is normally typified by positive troponin results and the same ECG changes uh, may have the same ECG changes and same symptoms, but has a positive troponin result, which means that there's uh, cardiac damage. So those patients are at risk of having cardiac arrhythmias. So with myocarditis, the difference is that those patients need to be put onto a cardiac monitor to make sure they're not having any arrhythmias. And we normally don't discharge them um, until we've seen the troponin start to downtrend. Um, and that's just good for you to know. Um, it might not be something you bring up in interview unless it, the station goes down to that route. But as you said, this is a knowledge video. So you're equipped with all the knowledge that you do need uh, for uh, encountering a chest pain history. Yeah. I think that's probably just about it I think in terms of, and then, I mean, I think obviously, you know, this, this will be probably covered elsewhere, but if it, if it does turn out that the chest pain is a non-cardiac cause, then just, I guess, have in mind the the way you would treat a suspected P and the correct investigations for that, because obviously we didn't go through that, but just things to have in mind, chest x-ray, CTPA, et cetera, and then speak to the relevant team about it, not the cardiologists. Yeah. Um, but but that will obviously, yeah, as, as Andy said, we, we're covering that in, other videos so there's respect videos the purpose of all these videos we're just going through and giving you all the knowledge that you need to deal with the different cardiac uh pathologies and there'll be all the ones respiratory and gastro uh etc so yeah do make sure you watch, you watch them all uh and don't get hammed in but hopefully this not this video certainly has given you more than enough knowledge uh far more than enough knowledge to get five out of five for your IMT uh, ischemia uh, clinical cl clinical scenarios and uh, yeah, do tune into our other cardiac knowledge videos and also there'll be some accompanying scenarios clinical scenarios as well where you can see exactly how one should answer these these kind of cases so do try and watch them all thanks for that, Tandita and thank uh, you Barak all right bye bye.